Hey ho, everybody. It's Richard Harrison, Scott Lease with another episode of the Surf and Sales podcast. Here we are in March 2020, um, hoping and praying people are getting vaccinated as quickly as possible. Uh, super excited today as we talk to a, a practitioner and really someone who is the front line and, and the front line of sales. And it's Vin Matano, who is, I love this, helping B2B marketers achieve ABM bliss. I haven't heard bliss in a long time and I like that creativity. Uh, so Vin, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. We're in three different time zones, which I think is the most interesting thing right, going on right now. That's right. all right. We've got it all covered. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, and, and for those who don't know, Vince over at Demand Base, and he's an account executive mid-market, and he's been there a while, um, you know, in terms of a 10-year perspective. So, you know, once I see someone there almost three years, I'm like, wow, that's good. <laughs> that's like 30 years in, in the real world, right? So, Vin, just for a perspective standpoint, like currently, what's your, um, What's your sales cycle like and average deal size? So people understand as we ask questions and talk that where your perspective's coming from. Yeah. So I would say with demand base, we're typically focused on uh, more of the larger enterprise. I actually sit on the mid-market team. So um, any companies that fall within that uh, 25 million to hundred million in revenue uh, uh, type of organization. And I'd say my sales cycles can be anywhere from, uh, you know, like three months long to, <laughs> You know, eight months long. Um, average deal size can vary quite widely, to be quite honest with you, um, from the you know 50k to 100k and plus. So those kind of vary, um, but that's kind of where we sit in. We're more focused really on the enterprise, small enterprise type of companies. I never noticed it till now. I love how when we ask for the average, Scott, people are like, well, it depends on the average. Like, there's multiple averages, right? Like, yeah. No, Scott, what's no, your batting average? Want to answer the question directly because there is no direct answer. Right. I get it. Yeah, it's. Yeah, it's also like the sales mentality comes in. It's like, all right, do I give a one number and then right. I, someone can use that as ammunition? So, yeah. Scott, when you when you coach baseball for your sons, like, and you look at the batting averages, are you like, okay, Caleb's batting average against right-handers is this, and left-handers is that? You know, if, if well, I, we don't, I haven't gone that deep into the little league rabbit hole, but uh, if he got older, I definitely would. Yeah, so. but I get it. Vin, Vin is over here, like, well, I'm not going to tell. I'm not going to overpromise and underdeliver here. He's trying to protect himself because, you know, Katie uh, Coutinho is his boss, right? And so she's probably going to <laughs> gonna hold hold him over the fire, right? So he's, she'll definitely she'll definitely listen to this one. So I got to make sure I'm buttoned up. defense mode still. Right. That's awesome. So, Vin, like, when did you know you even liked sales? Like, how did you even get into it? Yeah, so I, I think I have a pretty unique story because every time I, I listen to a lot of sales podcasts and I hear a lot, you know, I'm on LinkedIn a lot everyone seems like they just stumbled into sales. Like, did anyone ever want to just be in sales? Everyone's like, yeah, you know, I studied psychology. Right. So right. I, was in the was same, I was in the same boat where I, I, I knew I wanted to get in sales. I'd start doing like, you know, cruddy sales internships in college, like, you know, cold calling door to door. It was terrible. Um, but I, I knew I liked to kind of get rewarded for a little extra hustle. My dad was a small business owner. Um, and he always told me like, you know, if you ever want to make money, open a business or get into sales. So I had that mindset pretty early. Um, and then I just, you know, winded up at demand base really right out of college and haven't really looked back since. That's awesome. What yeah. do you remember? What do you remember is like, as your, even if it was before the demand base, what do you remember is your biggest sell? Biggest sale before demand base. Oh man. Um, 
Well, uh, so domain base was my first job out of college. Um, so everything before that, like I said, was just, you What'd can you, picture. What, what was the biggest sell to your parents? What's the biggest thing you had to convince your parents to let you do? Oh, wow. Uh, biggest thing I had to convince my parents to do probably was to uh, go. Oh, I, I know. Biggest thing I had to convince my parents to do was to go to Greece when I was 18. There you go. Uh, yeah, That's a that good was, one. That's that was a, a that was a huge sell. And mind you, I've never went anywhere in my entire life before. Um, so that was a pretty big sell. And I had to convince my, my mom that that would be all right. So what, what objections did you have to overcome? Um, we, like I said, we, my dad was scared of planes and we just never really vacationed much as a family. So <laughs> the biggest objection was just like, how are you going to know what you, where you're going? They speak another language. And I had answers for everything. So I was going with my friend's family who spoke Greek and lived in Greece. So uh, I think that gave her peace of mind. That's good. That, now, that's somebody a good one, who, by the way. now, somebody who wanted to be in sales their their whole life, or whatever, or intentionally went into it, like the two of you. What what do you think of as like an end game, right? That that's what I that's what I want to know. Do you think of it as like okay, I want to be in sales. I want to be an individual contributor for the rest of my life, or is is getting into sales a means to another end? Yeah, I, I think about that a lot. And I'm, I'm still, you know, fairly young. So I don't, you know, I don't really have it figured out. I'll be honest with you. But when I was younger, I thought that there's I just the idea of like, okay, if I can hustle a little bit harder than the person next to me, I can actually make a little bit more. And I thought that was like, attractive. Um, I didn't really know about tech sales. I didn't really know anything about sales, really. You know, I'd go to my career services department, in my college, and they would push me down the route of like, insurance sales and like you know enterprise rent a car which is you know totally oh my fine. god it's like the first sales gig they always try to push you always into. right and i that's it, again it's fine I, I see where there's a use case for it but it just wasn't where i was looking to go um and then again i just spending time on linkedin like crazy as an undergrad and came across like the tech space start interviewing with more of like the tech companies i'm like this is cool this is awesome you can sell like six figure technology deals yeah um it's more of a progressive like culture it's fun it's i don't have to wear a suit which i hated um i just thought it fit quite nice so it's interesting i always just assume that people who went into sales on purpose have it all mapped out they've got the, the whole career kind of figured out as opposed to somebody like me who just fell into it and then you know little by little kind of tried to find my way in terms of what to do scott so let, let's turn it around scott you know me you know how i think why do you think I went in? Like, what do you think my end game was going into this? I'll tell you what it is, but I just want to, I, <laughs> I love think, testing you. I think you just wanted to win arguments and, and just, and just get one up on, on people. <laughs> I think you wanted to just show everybody how smart you were. And that's why you got into sales. I got into sales and this is so funny because I wanted to be in management. Really? Which is exactly what Scott said. I wanted to be in charge. Yeah. I wanted to show how people, how smart I was. <laughs> um, and so then my advice to you is um, be way more humble than I ever was. I, <laughs> I was this stupid, cocky kid, even, even I could, I'll tell it another time. Cause it's not my story today, but about Scott, remind me to tell you about the time at camp where I thought I was in charge of everything. Um, so, but so, so then what do you, what were the biggest surprises for you coming into sales that you weren't, that you were like, Oh, I didn't know that was going to happen. Yeah. The biggest surprise is, I guess I'll break it down from like when I was an SDR uh, to when now being an AE. First biggest surprise when I started as an SDR was, you know, I was used to those 
high volume kind of sales cultures, um, which was very toxic and not good. And when I went to demand base, it was more about the quality of my work. So, you know, activity quotas were there, but they were very minimal. They were more focused on the, the quality of outreach to, as well as the quality of accounts you're reaching out to. So that was a big change for me, just getting that shift down. And I actually, I felt more comfortable in that environment. And the biggest, I would say, shock for like being a closer was just how like multi-threaded you have to be, how um, you're basically like a partner on their side of the house, um, specifically in B2B sales where these, you know, sales cycles can last for months. Um, really just working with the person you're quote unquote selling, actually trying to get them to a point together, which is just a big, uh, like I said, big change for me. Like I was used to just a high volume turnover, like SMB type of sale. Let me, let me, let me interject here and, and ask you to clarify for people listening who might not know. What does the term multi-threaded mean to you? Yeah, for me, it can mean a, a few different things. Like for me, when I was on, you know, on, on the SDR team, which I spent like a year and, and some time there, for me, multi-threaded was just making sure I'm reaching out uh, to multiple stakeholders at the account because in B2B sales, there's multiple people involved in the sales cycle. I think on average, uh, it could be around, uh, I think around six individuals um, that's involved. So making sure that you have a direct line to everybody. Um, for, for me now, it, it's very similar as an AE, but I, I try to keep it, try to go even further than that, try to actually get individual call set with individuals that I'm meeting with that are part of the buying committee or that potentially are going to be part of the buying committee. How do you do that? So think, think explain next. This is one of the things I always hear. Well, as you start to realize it's multi-threaded, even knowing going in, right, you do get that first contact. How and when do you navigate to the other people? Being mindful, because you know the biggest the biggest paranoia in sales. I don't want to I don't want to piss off you know my main contact, right? Yeah, for sure. How do you navigate that? That's a huge it's a huge thing to consider, and I, I would say I was never really good at multi-threading. When you know I think that Katie would ask like, "Are your deals multi-threaded?" I was thinking of, "Oh, have I demoed to someone else on the team?" Yeah, I'm multi-threaded. That's that's not really what multi-threaded is. Um, so for me, how I would try to tee those up is I have my main champion decision maker or um, point of contact if you will uh, on the end of the call I'll try to tee up another call with their additional team that's how you get more individuals involved and once you have time with them Wait, then that's when you can reply all to you know your recap so emails. Hold, hold on a second so go you ahead. go in let's just say it's me and you know i brought you in i got scott to come in right uh scott's my cro i'm i'm the director of sales or maybe i'm just the sales manager of one team because scott won't promote me because he's that kind of boss um, and I bring Scott in on that demo. How do you then multi-thread to Scott? Right. And I, I, I go back and define that in terms of, okay, at the end of this call, I'm going to now get the next meeting. And then here's how I'm going to multi-thread directly to Scott. Yeah. So I, I, in my head, I quite literally think of having multiple threads of communication, whether that's email, phone, whatever. For me, I prefer email personally. So if Scott, AKA the CRO came onto the call, um, you know, we'd have the demo or the disco, whatever that is. I would then go back as I'm sending my recap email to both you and Scott, that would apply to both of you. But then I would make two separate threads out of that and send one to you, Richard, and one to Scott separately. I would find one little thing or two little things that Scott had asked or had mentioned he liked, or maybe concerns that he had mentioned in the call. Um, just mention that say, Hey, I know you had mentioned that, you know, intent data was big for your organization. Um, just curious. I want to make sure I answered everything that you had asked. Um, if needed, happy to go through a deeper dive on that and then just send them some times and resources that apply to like the one little or two little things he said. And, you know, 
not always it gets a response, just like anything with sales, not always going to work. Um, but what I have found is that the deals that are really moving forward, those are working tremendously. And, and you're able to shorten the amount of time to close because you're getting multiple meetings in one week. And if you know, I can see the health of the deal because of the CRO, Scott is like, okay, yeah, let's meet and talk about this. I know how serious they are about this. Now, you said something super interesting here that I don't know if everybody caught up on. <clears throat> you said um, you prefer to do it over email. Why is that? Listen, I, uh, I, email is always my first choice. Uh, even Why? when I was an SDR, I, <laughs> I barely cold called. Um, I just saw tons of success over email. Like I, that is my channel that works. Somebody else may have a channel that works for them. I, it's totally fine for me. I'm able to personalize my emails, um, in a way where I, I think I can get a response from pretty confidently. So for me, I just doubled down on email because for me, that's where I see the most success. You, so let, let's say you're not connected to Scott in this scenario. Would you connect with him on LinkedIn at least as part of that multi-thread? Yeah, for sure. So I'm, I like using LinkedIn a lot. I don't typically like to sell on LinkedIn. Um, so yes, if I know I'm working a deal with Richard and I see Scott is going to ultimately be the one that's going to sign off or give the green light, I will just introduce myself over LinkedIn, not ask for anything. Right. Um, and then tee you up to hopefully bring in Scott. And at that point, if that doesn't work, there's some questions about the health of the deal, or if I need to, I may tap on our CRO to reach out CRO to CRO and see if we can spark a conversation. So I got one more question on this is, um, how would you define, and again, I like that you like, I get that you like email, multi-threaded via omni-channel. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's a great topic. So for me, when I think of omni-channel, um, I think the, the more basic one, the, the traditional example everyone thinks is that triple touch, which is um, uh, email, voicemail, in-mail. That's the triple touch that most organizations are using. Um, I personally like email, um, video, and Twitter. Those are my three, actually. So for me, and I think about this when I'm prospecting as well, um, you know, reaching out email is my main channel always just because for me it works and I can personalize emails really well. Um, and then I'll go right to Twitter. If I notice they're on Twitter, I'll reach out, just put my name in front of them and then drop a video over Twitter or over, over email. So those are my channels. And I even use that in deals I'm working. So again, if, you know, Scott, you had a question about how our sales team can benefit from demand base. Well, I may record myself going through a quick overview, dangle the carrot a little bit and send you that video instead of me typing that out over email. The first, Vin is the first person that we've talked to, Richard, that <clears throat> places Twitter in their top three. Yep. You know, just, out, outreach. Uh, you know, strategies. And that's yep. and that's biased because I sell to marketers, and marketers typically are on Twitter. Now, if you're selling to IT individuals, they're not going to be on Twitter, right? So I, I understand how that may not be. Uh, yeah. That may I don't not. Know. I think they might country. be. I think they're. I think they have their own presence. Right. I think they're less on, I think they're, you know, look, I have no data to support this. My gut, my hypothesis is they're way more on Twitter than they are LinkedIn for oh, IT. Maybe you, you also have um, a hypothesis of, of like, you get people on LinkedIn who have tens of thousands of connections and their inbox and notifications can go nuts and be noisy. And there's a lot of people on Twitter <clears throat> that don't have the same size following. So those notifications not only get noticed more, they feel more special potentially. Um, so it's an interesting, it's an interesting strategy. I'm just over here tripping out because like, this is the modern sales world, Richard. <laughs> ben has been an SDR and an AE and he's like, I don't cold call. 
basically is what he's saying. He, he doesn't use the phone. I heard him say or, voicemail. Or the, I heard him say voicemail. Well, I, uh, he's shaking his hand sort of back and forth, everybody. Yeah, a, little, a little bit. He's like, yeah, you know, I phone call-ish. If yeah. I need to. If I need to. Now, now I want to ask you a question that, that you stumbled into this debate that Richard and I, not debate, but I was on a rant when you joined, joined the room. Uh, what's the hardest role in sales right now and why? Oh, man. Uh, well, the, polit- like the PC answer is that every role is difficult in sales. No, um, we don't fucking do PC here, brother. Yeah, everybody does yeah. not get oranges, man. Come on. Let me think about this. Well, I mean, I could speak from my experience personally from being an SDR and being an AE. I, I honestly can't really speak for any other roles outside of that, to be honest with you. So let's speak to those two. Which one's harder? I would say AE is definitely harder. I would, SDR is just more like mentally tough because it, it can get very, very repetitive, as you can imagine. Um, AE is definitely more difficult because, you know, for an SDR, you just need to get them interested. That's all you need to do. You can do that many different ways. You can do it with a value prop. You can do it by just being creative and they're agreeing, oh, that was funny. I'll agree to talk. Um, or they may come to you. So you just need to pique their interest, right? That can get mundane after a while. Uh, with a, with being an AE and closer, you have to get their interest. You have to get other people's interests. You have to um, show value. You have to tie back the value prop, understand their business, get multiple people involved. It's a lot more has to juggle. Um, so I would definitely say AE and obviously no disrespect to SDR because that was my brand for a while. And, you know, I definitely aren't, respect aren't, But, but aren't, aren't you, um, if, you're, if you're working with an SDR, you don't have to get their interest because their interest has already been gotten, right? Don't you just have to like keep their interest a little bit? Hasn't yeah, part for of sure. that already been done for you? Yeah, you definitely have to keep their interest. But and then think about when they're bringing in new stakeholders, at least for my business, uh, they're, that's always that's always the case. It's very rare. I'm just working with one person. So, you know, when the new individuals come in, they may have no idea who demand base is. Uh, they may have no idea what ABM is. They've never heard of it. Um, at that point, you have to either educate or get their interest at that point. So that's always going to happen. Um, yeah, sure. The main person that agreed to the meeting, you probably don't have to gain their interest. Um, but you're definitely gonna have to keep it and then also get everyone else's interest as well. That seems so much easier to me than standing, sitting through the grind. Why? Tell, 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 explain why, Richard. So, because I'm an expert, right, Scott? Everybody knows how important <laughs> I think I am, right? That's, that's the start, is that getting someone's interest is hard and it's hard to teach and hard to learn. And it's very disheartening versus somebody, look, every meeting isn't a layup, right? Like not every deal is going to close. But if I follow my process and I do what I know I need to do, and I really, you know, follow my own exit criteria and know how to ask the right questions and all those things, that's, that to me is easy. That that's way easier because I actually have a plan, right? Like I know what I'm doing for the first 15 plays of the first quarter, so for me, that's that's a lot easier in my mind, um, you know. And and so, but but I, I follow up question, but I want Scott to come back on this one too. So now now I'm wondering what Vin's opinion is of the the full cycle accounting. That was opinion. yes, right. So somebody who's doing both an SDR and an AE role all all at once, and I'm not talking about an AE who's supported by SDRs who also prospect. I'm talking about a true full cycle accounting executive well we are support so at demand base we are supported by sdrs yeah so what would your 
what do you think about full cycle? Like for somebody like you, would you ever, would you want to be in an organization that was full cycle? Was that, was that experience of you, you know, for a year and a half as an SDR, like critical in your mind to develop oh, yeah. becoming an AE? Absolutely. Like for me, so I, I talk about this a lot. I think you think about all the AEs that are becoming AEs now, right? They're going to be SDR graduates. That's the, that's now the career path is you start as an SDR, you move to an AE. Um, it's very rare where you have this like other path that you've taken now, nowadays. Um, so with that in mind, all these AEs are going to have that prospecting muscle that they can now flex. They know how to prospect effectively. Personally, I think that AEs going forward are probably going to get more full cycle. They're going to be responsible for their own pipeline, generating their own pipeline to an extent, maybe not 100%. It's going to go back, it's going to go back to the way that it used to be. Whereas, sure. And then what I think the SDRs won't get, it, they'll still be around, but I think that they potentially might move into a marketing org where now those are considered like additional things. So for example, you know, the AE might be responsible for, you know, 50, 60% of their own pipeline, let's just say, whereas the SDR can get you additional leads or uh, meetings or what have you. So I think that's, I, I could see it shifting there a little bit. You see a lot of orgs rolling SDRs up to marketing, which makes a lot of sense. Um, but I think a lot of the new AEs now have no problem with prospecting at all. All right. So Scott, this is the part where we get to come in and be grumpy old men and tell Vin to get off our lawn. Right? <laughs> How dare you? You've had one job, young man. No, I, you know what? I love it. I'm actually looking at your profile and like, you really did an amazing job as an SDR. Like you clearly got it, passionate about it, like multiple awards, multiple times of hitting the number. Um, what drove you there? For those who are SDRs, was it, hey, do you want to get promoted? Was it, I'm always this competitive, you know, um, hey, I treated this like I'm trying to go to Greece. Like, what was it? <laughs> yeah. So, um, I, again, I just, I needed to get like my foot in the door, really. And obviously, the SDR is a great place to do that. Um, for me, what I was most, like, what drew me most to the SDR role was at demand base specifically is they let you really just do your own style. So they didn't say, Hey, you have to do, you know, this many calls per day, this many emails, you were expected to get those numbers. Right. But at the same time, for me, I was finding my own groove where I was doing creative prospecting. I was having fun with it. Um, and I was hitting my number every month and I wasn't necessarily like, okay, well, no one came up to me. and was like, Hey, Vin, you, you crushed your quota this month, but you actually didn't make 20 calls today. What's going on? Like no one said that. Right. So I think they gave us an environment to find your own style. They gave you a blueprint and playbook for sure of saying, hey, this is what's expected. But they also gave you some room to say, find your own style. And for me, my style was mostly around email and it was around creative prospecting, videos, social. Um, and I enjoyed it. So what what defined creative, right? Because it it's it's always creative, right? And some, you know, it seems like there's a, a tip, a tool, a trick that'll last two years, right? And yeah. then, it, then it becomes stale. Well, tell, sure. tell everybody, tell everybody that your, uh, your, your prospecting story about Gary Vaynerchuk and, uh, you know, the, the book that you sent the one prospects, I know that was a, a big LinkedIn post for you. Tell everybody that story. That, yeah. That, that's a good example for Richard to hear. Yeah. So for me, I guess I should backtrack. Like you said, Richard, it's always changing. Like year after year, there's going to be something new, something that worked last year. It doesn't work this year. So when I started at Demand Base, at least at our org, I can't speak for the whole industry, but at least at our org, like outreach cadences were like huge for us. They were like building these like really big cadences and they were a little bit automated, templated. And I just, I never really vibe with that. Um, a lot of people on the team weren't really doing things outside of that. So for me, I started experimenting. 
I started leveraging, you know, things I found online about my prospects. Uh, but with the Gary V example, there was one of our target accounts. It was a top tier account. My AE and myself at the time were, we were so focused on, on getting this account. Uh, Cause we spoke to them in the past. They mentioned now would be better timing. And we, I just could not get through to this individual, uh, to the team. I did. I even cold called this account. Okay. So that's when, you know, I'm trying everything I've emailed, cold called Twitter, email. I wrote handwritten notes. I did everything to the point where I was actually just going to stop reaching out to them. Cause I just couldn't, I just couldn't get through to them. Um, finally, I saw my prospect shared a something about Gary V. It was like a video or whatever. And he put some commentary behind it. Um, so I kind of like a last ditch effort. I was just like, well, I have Gary's jab, jab, right. Jab, 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 right. Hook book in my room. I finished it. I'm not going to need it. So I just put it in an envelope, wrote a handwritten note saying, Hey, saw you're a big Gary V fan. I am as well. Hope you enjoy the book. Mailed it to him, followed up again via email. And he got back to me. Finally, he came in for lunch. The, the, the deal winded up closing. And then literally a week after uh, kickoff, he emailed me and was like, Hey man, just want to thank you again for the book. Uh, we're kicking off with demand base, but reason I'm reaching out is because I actually have an extra ticket to Gary V's empathy wine event at the, um, the Ainsworth in New York city. And I can't make it. Do you want my ticket? So I was like, you know, screw it. I'll go. I went by myself. I got to meet Gary, told him how I got there. I got free wine. I uh, met some cool people. And the biggest takeaway for me was that like, I was an SDR. I didn't actually do the sales cycle. I just teed it up. You know, he could have really gave that ticket to his family, his friends, colleagues. He could have gave it to our, the demand based team. that was actually spending time with him day in day, day in and day out. Uh, but he thought of me. So I clearly made a really good impact on him. Um, and I just thought that was like, that really stuck with me as an SDR. I was like, wow, we, the stuff I'm actually doing, like people remember. Um, and it was just a really cool experience and a story that uh, a lot of people like to hear. So <laughs> now, now that's creative prospecting right there, Richard. Yeah. Yes. So how do you scale that? Um, well, you're not really supposed to scale that. You're not really supposed to do that. To it's the every first step. person to ever say that. I love it. It's actually a great answer. I love that it. is the best Explain answer I've ever heard. Explain yeah. more. Yeah, I, I, I don't like that question when people say, well, how do you scale that? Well, you're not supposed to scale that. Um, so I guess, I don't know, with demand base, we're, we're focused on ABM and ABM is really about like, well, which accounts do we want to focus on from a budget perspective, a, a um, effort perspective? So for demand base, I know my top accounts. I'm not going to be sending a book to a low tiered account that's never going to buy from us. That would be terrible waste of my time, my AA's time, everybody's time and money. So for me, if I know that they're a top ranked account, I can use demand base to do so. Or you may have your own you know, internal tiered or scoring model in place. You're only going to really do that one-to-one -one personalization to those top tiered accounts, right? You may actually leverage some automation or maybe some templates to those tier three accounts if you just want to put some touches on them. So I, you really shouldn't scale that. How do you, what are you doing these days for creative, right? Cause I agree with you. You can't really scale it, but what are, what are new ideas that, that you're liking and working or, or have heard work? Maybe some of your other team members do it and it's just not in your wheelhouse, right? Yeah. So I still think Twitter is underutilized. I've been using this since I you know, was an SDR and, and still as an AE, I still use it. I, I don't know anyone else that uses it uh, to the extent that I use it where one, I'm using it to see some information I can use to, to personalize my emails or maybe like use to drop when I have uh, some calls with some new stakeholders just to kind of break the ice a little bit. But I'm also using it as another touch point. Um, so again, if maybe I notice one of my target accounts got like funding or they released a new product, I'll just tweet somebody and just be like, hey, congrats on the funding. That's it. But then I'll follow up via email with my ask and my value prop and all that fun stuff. 
So I'm using Twitter and I, I still really don't think a lot of people are using it. So it's not, I wouldn't say it's necessarily new for me, but I still think it's new to the, to the industry. And the goal, the goal with it is just what? Get your name in front of them more, familiarize yourself. So when the email does hit the inbox, they're like, oh, I recognize this Vin Matano name. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. how I'm using. That's how I'm using it. Yeah, exactly. So again, I'm really confident in, in the way I'm writing emails, which is why that's my main channel. Uh, but the hardest challenge is getting them to open the email, right? They're getting tons of emails per day, especially if you're reaching out to a C level or a VP level, even director. So for me, I'm just like, okay, how can I get it in front of them? I'll maybe add them on LinkedIn, comment on one of their posts, literally not ask for anything. Again, just want to make sure that when they see Vin Matano come in their email inbox, they're like, oh, I know this guy. And they'll at least open it because I'm confident if they open it, I'll get a response. Is, it, is there a particular amount of time that you think somebody should or needs to be an SDR in order to prepare them to be an AE? Mm, I don't think there's a, I don't really think so. Uh, it's really about how you, how you then let me rephrase the question. Is there an expiration date on somebody being an SDR where they're like, well, I can't do this SDR thing anymore. I've got to, I've got to close deals myself. I got to move up. Yeah, I think once you, um, I think once you get that two-year mark, you start, you start wanting out a little bit. Um, I, I was promoted uh, in twenty months, so I almost, I almost hit that two-year mark. Um, but two-year mark, three-year mark is kind of like we need to figure something out. Because is that it, the tenure at demand base, by the way? Like that feels long to me. No, it, for us, it was just about. It's all about timing, right? Do we have the open headspace? So for me, like. Um, I, we needed that open spot for me. So once that opened, then I, then I moved into it. So uh, we have a bridge program at demand base. So that starts, uh, it's three months long to move from SDR to AE. So technically I started that bridge program. What is that? Uh, seven, uh, 17 months in. So I got finally promoted at the end of that three months. So. Cool. What, um, what advice do you give to both SDRs and AEs? And even the managers of those two different teams to foster a stronger relationship between the SDR and the AE, right? There's always, you know, there's nothing wrong with a little healthy friction, but what have you seen work? What worked for you? How do you work with your SDR, et cetera? Yeah, I, I am. I'm pretty fortunate right now. I'm working pretty hands-on with my SDR. Uh, he just started at demand base, which is, which is good because um, we can kind of work together and find out some things he's good at. Um, and some things that I'm good at and, and I can kind of, you know, we can share from each other. The biggest thing though, with, with working with an AE and an SDR is understanding what their style is. I've been on both sides of the coin, obviously. I understand some people, they want always direct communication always. And I know some people will just say, Hey, I got this kind of thing. We'll, we'll check in once a week or whatever, whatever the person you're working with on the other end is comfortable with. I typically will, you know, just support them because that's what they're comfortable with. Um, I do like to push back a little bit if, if they maybe, you know, for example, if my, you know, the SDR I'm working with has some messaging that maybe I think can improve. Um, I'll definitely share my two cents and why um, and give them the option to use it or not. I'm not going to, I would never force someone to be, Hey, you have to do this. Um, just give them my perspective and say, Hey, you might want to just consider this at least. And I find that works really well. And from a management point of view, um, I think, you know, Katie is fantastic at this. Uh, really understanding what people are interested in outside of work, what they're working towards, their goals are outside of work, um, because that's that's a really important thing. That's what motivates you on your day to day. And she's really, really good at that. Yeah. Awesome. Great. We've got to go for it. 
we've got to we've got to run out of time. We're running out of time here, so we got to kind of move to uh, to wrap up. But we wanted to thank our uh, sponsors: Salesforce, Revenue Cloud, Gong.io, and Lead411.com. Um, what can we do for you, Ben? We always try to end the show saying, "How can we be helpful to you?" Any questions you have for us? Um, so this is your your time. All right. Let's see. What questions do I have for you guys? Um, what was each one thing, what was the greatest thing each of you that you learned from any guests that you've had that you've, that really like stuck with you and that you take with for a while? That's a good question. Wow. Good question. I'm trying to, we've done 225 ish. I mean, well, well, first of all, with the exception of yours, uh, Vincent, no, but I love what you said. Uh, like, seriously, you can't create, you can't scale creative prospecting. Like that's actually a really good learning, uh, to, that I, that I liked. I think, um, some of the, I, you know, I always like stuff I do with Kevin Dorsey. So there's a little bit of personal bias there, but he really dove deep into what he called being the only, and this was in April. This was before maybe even March of last year before George Floyd and, and some of these things occurred. And, um, and so there was a beginning of a, of a, uh, I mean, certainly not, I certainly hope I, I wasn't racist. I don't think that I was, but helping me understand my own bias, I think was probably the best way of like, oh, okay, I never thought about it quite like that. So I think that's probably the biggest learning uh, that I've gotten out of it. Yeah, and I, I think for me, the, the episode that stands out the most right now is, um, we did two of them actually. There's a, a webinar we did on equity with, Sam Jacobs and Colin Cadmus. And then we did a subsequent podcast episode with just Colin and it's all about equity and stock options and equity and just, you know, listening to, to those guys and, and participating in the conversation and getting live questions from the audience and all that. I think the biggest learning was just how big the gap is between people who understand equity and stock options and how this stuff works. Um, and, and, quote unquote, most people, meaning most people have no idea uh, and haven't been taught or told or explained or anything like that. Um, that's probably the episode that I get messaged about the most. Agreed. Um, and so it, it's, it remains on my mind and I still write about it, um, you know, periodically. Yeah. Check that one out. Yeah. Those are, those are really good ones. I think, I think Scott even posted them today or wrote something about it today. To yeah. Sort of yeah. It's on my mind. It. Yeah. So, uh, well, thanks so much, man. We really appreciate you coming on here. And uh, you are seriously like one of the things I wrote down was that you were way wise, way wiser beyond your years of experience in sales. Like you really do have a, <laughs> a nice that. vision. Um, and, and so it's nice to hear that and see it and experience it. So thank you for, for coming on. Thanks for having me. This was awesome. Yeah, appreciate it, Vin. Take care, man. Bye, guys. Bye.